Let's turn now in our books of praise to Lord's Day 38. There we have a, a summary of Scripture's teaching on the fourth commandment. Lord's Day 38. What does God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel in schools be maintained, and that especially on the day of rest, I diligently attend the church of God to hear God's word, to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that all the days of my life I rest from my evil works, <clears throat> let the Lord work in me through his Holy Spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Beloved in the Lord, we often can think of rest as merely stopping our work. But in the, in the scripture, as you look through the types of, of festivals, Sabbaths, and, and uh, the way scripture describes rest, you begin to see that rest is a lot more than that. Six days you shall labor, and the seventh day is a Sabbath, or a day of rest to the Lord your God. The seventh day in the Old Testament is to enjoy God with the fruit of one's labors. The feast days in the Old Testament are a type of Sabbath. In Deuteronomy 14, we read about one of those feast days at the end of the harvest, where God provides food and drink for his people who come from far away through their own tithe. At this particular feast, God wants his people to spend their tithe money on themselves and on one another. We see the Sabbath is about enjoying the fruit of our labors with God. Of course, the New Testament changes that. Christ rises up on the first day of the week. And so marks the first day of the week as the day when God brought rest to his people. That's why we no longer worship on the Sabbath, Saturday, but on the Lord's Day, Sunday. The church finds rest on the first day of the, of the week in the work that Christ has accomplished. So we find joy in the fruits of Christ's work. And that works in us, enables us to produce fruit in the following six days of labor. We have in Lord's Day 38 a list of the elements of worship. We might say the elements of that communion with God that belong to the New Covenant Church. And these are based on Acts 2.42 where we're told that the church devoted itself to certain practices upon receiving the Holy Spirit. Preaching, the Lord's Supper, or, the, or in Acts 2.42, the breaking of bread, the fellowship, which is exemplified in the service by the giving of our offerings, and the prayers, calling publicly upon the Lord. All of these exemplify the rest that God gives to us in the fourth commandment. I bring you the word of the Lord under the theme, God gives us rest on the Lord's day. First, we're going to see proclaiming, that God proclaims rest or proclaiming rest. 
We receive rest, receiving rest. We seek rest. And we give rest. So proclaiming rest connects to the work of preaching, receiving rest, especially to to, uh, receiving the Lord's Supper, seeking rest, especially to our call upon God publicly, and giving rest, our act of giving in the offering. Lord's Day 38 begins with a unique call among the church's confessional material on the fourth commandment that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained. To understand why this is here, we need to understand a little bit about Ursinus' understanding of the Sabbath. Now, Ursinus is the man who wrote the Heidelberg Catechism, and he believed that the principle behind the Sabbath was preserving and continuing the worship of God through the generations. The practice of Sabbath gave the people of Israel a day to remember God. The Sabbath, the seventh day, was a ceremonial part of the law. And as a part of those ceremonies of Israel, it too was fulfilled in Christ. In Christ, we find the rest that was foretold on the seventh day. Yet under Christ, we are still called to that same preservation of the worship of God through the generations. We have found rest in Christ, but we still look forward to the final rest that he will bring us into. And so the church has always worshipped on the Lord's Day as a commemoration of the work of Christ. As Hebrews 4 tells us, there remains a rest for the people of God. And in order that the people of God may remain in that rest, the ministry of the gospel must be maintained. We must continue to call men to the office of pastor, elder, and deacon in order to watch over the ministry of the church and ensure that the people of God continue to be reminded of and receive the rest of God. And for the ministry of the gospel to be maintained, schools must be maintained to train these ministers in the word. Naturally, with the understanding that these schools or training institutions can take many forms. These men are the instruments in proclaiming the rest that comes from God. That first element here proclaiming the rest that comes from God so that the other elements of worship may follow from that. They are to encourage the church in remembering God. And it is particularly the new covenant day of rest which God uses to proclaim that rest. As the Catechism says, that especially on the day of rest, I diligently attend the church of God. Especially. That means my whole life ought to be filled with Scripture, but even more so on the day of rest. In Geneva, at the time of John Calvin, preaching, what, preaching was happening almost every day. In many other places, people would gather every morning for morning prayer, where they would hear a short lesson from Scripture and come to God in prayer. 
In fact, all the elements of worship, the explanation of the word, baptism and the Lord's Supper, public prayer and giving gifts to the poor, are not limited to the day of rest. These may happen whenever the consistory calls the congregation of God to worship together. We are, after all, in the rest of Christ. And of course, this finds its greatest expression in the day of rest that God has given us. Here we come to church. We join the assembly of God to grow in Christ. And every Sunday, the minister proclaims the rest of God. Christ has brought us out of the restlessness of sin. We sang about that in Psalm 62. Pursuing riches, pursuing robbery, that does not bring rest. Christ has brought us out of that restlessness and into the rest of his righteousness. In Scripture, it's the free man who rests. Israel, while they were enslaved by the Egyptians, had no day of rest. It's because they are free that they may rest, that they may obey God's command to keep the Sabbath day. Through the proclamation of the gospel, I know that I have freedom in Christ. Christ died to take away that sin. I have my sins forgiven me so that I don't need to worry about making up for them to my Father who is in heaven. And so I am free to come, rest, worship God on the first day of the week. Christ has given me a new identity in him. In the resurrection of Christ, I have a new life, eternal life. In him, I am now a free man, free to enjoy the world as he called my father Adam to do. In a busy, overworked world, that means I too am free to take Sunday as a day of rest, set apart to worship and to enjoy the God who has given me this freedom. The explanation of the word of God I hear every Sunday is an explanation of the way of freedom. The second point of the catechism, or the second point that the catechism brings out, explains that point. That all the days of my life, I rest from my evil works. Let the Lord work in me through his Holy Spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Through the teaching of God's word, the Lord pierces my heart. You recognize that language from Hebrews 4? Pierces and divides so that I may recognize my sin and crucify it. I recognize I am freed so that I may rest in him. In these times of COVID, we're separated from the assembly of God. Yet we still have the word. We still have the freedom to set apart time for God. I hope you are especially using your Sunday to grow in that rest of God. That brings us to our second point, receiving rest. On the seventh day, God rested from the work, his work that he had done. God has day by day taken delight in his work. We can extrapolate from what has come before that God continues to delight in his work on the seventh day. 
But he's no longer evaluating his creation, though. He doesn't say it is good on, on the seventh day as he did on days one through six. Now he is enjoying, enjoying what he has created. Not evaluating it, but enjoying it. Enjoying communion with man. God's pattern is our pattern. As Christ says, God did not make man for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. Israel has worked hard, hopefully, for six days, and is now able to enjoy the fruits of her labor with God. But now Christ has fulfilled the Sabbath and has been raised on the first day of the week. God gives us the sacraments so that we may rest in him, so that we may rest assured. That's the, that's the important word that our confessions bring out. The sacraments are for our assurance, assured that we participate in his rest. Baptism declares to us, you have entered the rest of Christ. You may rest with a clean conscience in Christ. It's quite fitting then to baptize on a Sunday, the day of Christ's resurrection, when he entered the rest of the new creation. So we enter the rest of the new creation. The Lord's Supper is also a deeply fitting practice for Sunday. Whereas baptism is a declaration of entrance into the rest of Christ, the Lord's Supper is about remaining in the rest of Christ. That continued union with Christ. By eating and drinking, we participate in Christ. The Lord's Supper is not about enjoying the fruit of our labors, but about enjoying the fruit of Christ's labors. So from the beginning, the church has joined together on the first day of the week to enjoy the fruit of Christ's labors. According to Belgian Confession, Article 35, that fruit is nothing less than Christ himself in the supper. He is our rest. We begin the week receiving the rest of Christ so that we may produce the fruit of Christ. I sometimes wonder if our modern world doesn't understand rest because the church has not properly understood the rest that God gives in communion. Again, rest isn't merely ceasing to work. Rest is about worship, the festival, the celebration of what God has done in our lives. In our rest, we enjoy the benefits of Christ's work. Again, God's gift of rest in the Lord's Supper connects to the freedom that we talked about earlier. The Lord's Supper is about union with Christ, a becoming that new creation that reflects his image. If the word pierces our hearts, the Lord's Supper is pictured in those leaves of the tree of life from Revelation 22 that bring healing and wholeness to the nations. Christ pierces us in his word. He heals us in the supper. In the Lord's Supper, we proclaim our unity with the righteousness of Christ through the work of Christ on the cross. And again, this, this nicely connects to the second point of the catechism. 
through the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit confirms God's proclamation of freedom so that I begin to experience true rest from my sinful nature. Right? First, we go to the church of God. That's, that's, what, that's what Sabbath means for us. Second, we rest from our sin and begin to practice that eternal Sabbath that Christ has, got us into, has brought us into. In this way, we proclaim, as 1 Corinthians 11 tells us, the Lord's death until he comes. Now, communion is one of those things that COVID-19 definitely separates the church from celebrating. We can enjoy the word, we can still enjoy the word through technology, but we cannot come together as a body and partake of Christ's body. In this sense, we're in exile. I hope that you come back to this gift of rest with the same delight that characterized the Jews when they came back out of exile. In Nehemiah 8.17 we read, And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in booths, for from the days of Jeshua the son of Nun to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was a very great rejoicing. What we see in the return from exile is not only a return to the worship of God as is, but a greater commitment to the worship of God. For some reason, the people of God had not fully obeyed God with regard to the Feast of Booze since the time of Joshua. But in their return, they found a deeper commitment to God's word. And there was great rejoicing. And I hope we find that greater commitment as well. God is a great and good God. That brings us to our third point, seeking rest. The rest we receive is a foretaste. It's a beginning of the rest that God is bringing into the world. We look forward to the eternal life in Christ. We look forward to the final judgment when every wrong will be made right. And that's why we continue to seek the rest of God in prayer and song. Again, that, that, that phrase from Hebrews 4, there remains a rest for the people of God. The people of Israel did not hear the promises of God with faith. And if we do not hear the promises of God in faith, if we do not receive water, bread, and wine in faith, and the hope that springs from faith, we will not receive that coming rest either. And so we call upon the Lord publicly, as the catechism says. Of course, this is not merely seeking rest, even as the word is not merely proclaiming rest, or the Lord's Supper is not merely receiving rest. This is rather what seems to be emphasized most in these different activities we do on a given Sunday. So in prayer, we also wonder at the holiness and the majesty of the Lord. We delight at the holiness of God in our songs. Prayer is the delight of talking with God. But at the same time, there's a constant recognition of distance in our prayers. We pray in Jesus. We pray to Jesus, who is not here yet physically physically. 
we come to God in the Spirit. We look forward to the end when Jesus will step down as mediator, according to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28. And we will enjoy the delight of serving God face to face in our perfect and spiritual resurrected bodies. We desire to receive the gift of eternal life. We desire the end of suffering. And so we pray that God will look after those who are sick, poor, lonely, and outcast. We pray that God may continue to give us the favor of his presence. We hope for the fullness of rest. And mostly, look, we look forward to the end of our sin. That's the biggest thing that continues to separate us from God. That's why the, the service of God always has an element of sadness and, and tragedy to it. We begin the worship of God by recognizing the distance we create between ourselves and God. We recognize how we continue to be ungrateful for the high honors that Christ has given us. We hear the word of rest proclaimed and we do not listen. We receive the rest of God in bread and wine and we, we do so without a commitment to live in the freedom he has given us. Therefore, we must always begin our approach to Mount Zion by recognizing the state of our own hearts, our need for repentance, and ultimately our need for the fullness of Sabbath, eternal Sabbath. Our taste of rest, too, properly fills us with a desire for the final rest, the feast of the Lamb. And so our prayer and praises point us toward the final moment of communion with God. Just as with the other aspects of rest, it is our prayers where we live out the call of the catechism to rest from our evil works and to begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. It is in living by the Spirit that we live in that rest. And life in the Spirit is that continual removal of the old man and the coming of the new man. It's something we're seeking, seeking from God in our prayers and our songs. Finally, we come to giving rest. So we hear the proclamation of rest, we receive rest, we seek rest, but we also give rest. Again, we can think of the words of Christ. God made the Sabbath for man. Man is like God in following a seven-day pattern. Man is also to be like God in giving rest to his fellow man. God gave the Sabbath so that man may have rest, and man is called to also give Sabbath to his fellows. And even more so in Christ, the great giver of rest. This is what the Pharisees understood about the, misunderstood about the Sabbath. They thought the Sabbath was only for God. Man had to observe Sabbath as an arbitrary thing that had nothing to do with what God created man for. They did not understand how the Sabbath was given to man so that he might reflect God in his rest and reflect God as giver of rest. 
We exemplify God's gift of rest in our gifts for the needy among us. Through our giving, we give rest to those who have fallen into financial or physical trouble. In this way, all the people of God are able to experience something of the rest that God has given us in this life. In Acts 2 verse 42, this is called a devotion to the fellowship of God. If we are truly a fellowship, we will not have brothers and sisters that are physically lacking. We will do what we can so that they may enjoy the rest of God even as we do. Of course, this attitude of giving rest goes far beyond what we give in the offering plate on Sunday. Christianity has produced countless charitable organizations besides millions of acts of individual charity on the part of Christians. By giving physical rest, we point to our desire that people all throughout the world may experience the spiritual rest of Christ. God did not give the Sabbath for himself. He gave it for us. He did not give Christ for himself. He gave Christ for us. So like God, we take rest and we give rest. Sunday is not merely for us, but also for our fellow man. Like Christ, we become givers of rest, givers of physical rest. Think of the people that Christ healed through our acts of charity. We also become sources of spiritual rest. You can think of John 4 where, where Christ says, you will become sources of living water. We pray for our neighbors. As Paul commands Timothy, pray for all men. We show hospitality for our neighbors just as God shows hospitality in the Lord's Supper. So we invite them into our homes and share of the products of the work of our hands. Finally, wherever there is opportunity, we invite them to the rest of God so that he may be glorified. Here too, we're being formed into the image of God, formed into the image of Christ. Not only are we experiencing the beginning of eternal Sabbath, but we are inviting others into that eternal Sabbath. We demonstrate the goodness and the righteousness and the love of God in offering the freedom and the rest that comes from Christ. So let us, especially on the day of rest, hear God's word and so grow in living according to the way of rest. Use the sacraments and so receive a foretaste of the Sabbath rest of God. Call publicly upon the Lord so that we may train ourselves in the desire for God's rest. And finally, give. Yes, formally in the offering plate, but also in a way that comes from the heart so that we may be devoted to the fellowship of God's people. If we do these things, our rest on Sunday will not be a burden it will be a delight when we will understand why Christ says God has given the Sabbath for man. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Let's come to God in song with the words of hymn 41. Hymn 41. <laughs> 